Ryan, we uh, we're here. We're uh, we're doing a podcast because everyone else is. Uh, that's literally the only reason I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, we're gonna talk sports. Uh, we're gonna try to have on interesting guests, um, people, um, even not from sports, uh, if we can. Um. So we're gonna have a good time with it, and um, yeah, I mean, you just want to get right into topics. Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump into a little bit of sports, a little bit of life, and. We'll have a All podcast right. now. So let's get into the NFL. Um, the one o'clock games yesterday, um, we had quite some stinkers, really. Um, we had the Washington football team, New York football giants. Um, that was really the closest game of the one o'clock afternoon. Seattle tried to make it interesting around um, 3 30, 4 o'clock during the witching hour. Um, what, what's, what's your thoughts on the NFC East? Did, does anybody actually have thoughts on the NFC East or do they just kind of exist in their own own little place? I mean, it's it's sad, but it but in retrospect, those divisions happen every couple of years. Um, I don't know if you remember back, I guess it was around 2009-ish. The NFC West was terrible. Uh, I believe the team that went to the playoffs was seven and nine. I think it was the Seahawks were seven and nine and went to the playoffs. Yeah. And of course that's, that's maybe the best division in the NFC now. So those things comes in, come in waves. Um, I, I don't think that the NFC East is going to be terrible forever, but we're, we're sitting through a couple of years where we're going to make fun of it. And, and honestly, I think too, whenever Dak Prescott comes back healthy, if the Cowboys decide to pay him, I think it'll be their division for, for five to 10 years, as long as he's healthy and, and sticks it out with them. Yeah. I think uh, the biggest thing about the NFC East right now, we have to look at is like, I think I saw a stat the other day. This is the first time we've gone through seven, eight weeks of an NFL season where the leader in a division does not have a winning record or at least 500. So, I mean, we are going to get these divisions every couple of years. Um, it seems like this year though, in the last like four or five, the NFC East is not only taking like, you know, the horse by the reins, but like, you know, Kyle Allen going down yesterday, like, I don't know if you saw the injury, but like his ankle, you know, shattered. Something about Redskins quarterbacks, something about Redskins <laughs> yeah. quarterbacks through history. And it's, it's such a shame because Joe Theismann, RG three, Alex Smith, Kyle Allen. I mean, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but in the manner that those four have been hurt, in their careers with the Reds, it's just sad. I would, I would be, I would be hesitant to take the field as a Redskins quarterback. Put that in the back of my mind. That's that's all I could think about the whole time. But I mean, clearly it's just a fluke. But yeah, as soon as I saw his leg kind of just pop up there, I I couldn't. I had to I had to look away. Yeah, I um I was trying uh you know I I, I watch NFL Red Zone on uh, Sundays and they showed the play. And my favorite thing of like during like a sports game, like an announcer, they go, well, you know, everyone turn away. This is going to be graphic, you know, and they show you the replay anyway. You know, why are you showing the replay? Then just don't don't show it. Um, other news and notes from the one o'clock games. Uh, Chicago. Uh, so I'm an Eagles fan. You're Steelers. And we'll get into that here in a few moments. Um, Nick Foles was the guy who led Philly to a Super Bowl, uh, put the team on his back, uh, really carried that offense down the stretch, really, uh, especially during that Minnesota game where they won like 38-10, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be when he gets to a team and he's the starter, um, it, it, it doesn't work out for him. It's night and day. I don't think Nick Bowles is a bad quarterback. I think it just has to be the right situation because clearly something worked in Philly whenever he came in against that adversity. I don't know what it is in Chicago. Their offense is just not, it just doesn't click. It's not exciting. There's nothing, there, there's nothing exciting about it. Right. So when when you watch Chicago, you're basically hoping that your defense wins your games. I, as a Steeler fan, I understand what that's like because I sat through last year with no quarterback, um, you know, Mason Rudolph and, and Duck Hodges had their struggles. So you're basically sitting there just hoping your defense scores and wins games. And unfortunately they don't have Devin Hester anymore to run back punts. So you're hoping for something to happen when, when there's not much there, unfortunately for, for Chicago, at least. Uh, this is more just an open-ended question. And I mean, you know, 
people don't know this, but Ryan is like one of the no- most knowledgeable guys I've ever talked to NFL football with, uh, you know, in uh, my time talking sports. Uh, is Lamar Jackson just not that good at throwing the football? Like what happened from the drop off here where he's, you know, an MVP caliber and just taking this massive drop off? I think similar to Nick Foles, but in kind of a different window, you have to set him up to succeed because last week watching, and again, I'm, you'll probably hear me say this a lot over the, over the weeks, but I watch the Steelers. That's, that's my thing. But last week against the Steelers, whenever you put him in an option style offense, whenever he has the opportunity to be the playmaker, that's exciting. And he's great at that. It's, it's the drawback passing in the NFL. That's really kind of been his kryptonite. And I think will continue to be. Don't don't make him a drop back passer. Let him be the playmaker. Use his feet. Continue on because he's exciting to watch. I have a lot of respect for him and what he does. And and I think that he will have to continue to develop his his feet or his uh excuse me his passing because if not the the running will run out eventually. But I I think if he can continue to work on that, we'll you know, we'll have a different discussion, but it's, it's his passing. That's the most concerning. Okay. We are still talking the one o'clock NFL games. Um, Ryan Atlanta has played unbelievable since they have fired Dan Quinn. They have won, I think two games. Um, I'm not sure about that, but they crushed Denver yesterday. They looked really, really good against Denver. Uh, I don't know if that's more of a Drew Locke thing or a Matt Ryan just having the right coach, but I feel like Matt Ryan's always been one of those quarterbacks. He's not in the A or B tier. He's he's like right around Matt Stafford. Like he's good enough to get you to the playoffs. He's like Ryan Tannehill from Miami. Good enough to get you to the playoffs. Plays well enough to get you a couple wins here and there. But, um, you know, Ryan Tannehill, I think, you know, has found a fit in Tennessee. But I think Matt Ryan, even with w- winning MVP, ever since they lost to the Patriots in that 28-3 Super Bowl lead that they had, uh, just hasn't been the same. Uh, but they looked great yesterday. Yeah, well, and I think it I think it kind of plays to the fact of and you mentioned it when when you have Ryan, Matt Ryan, rather in the right system and, and he's able to do his thing. That's when it really works. And it helps whenever you have. I'll say it. One of the best two receivers in the NFL on the outside running routes, absolutely destroying defensive backs. Um, Matt Ryan, you're, you're right. He's I, I don't know if he's ever been that a tier quarterback, but he's somebody that can at least get the ball to folks. And whenever you have weapons like Calvin Ridley, have weapons like Julio Jones, it makes it 10 times easier. Um, Certainly the defense still has a little bit of work to do. Not really great against the pass. Uh, So I don't know if that's Drew Locke actually showing himself to be good or that's Atlanta kind of giving up a little bit more than they're worth. Um, But yeah, I mean, Atlanta could could go on one of those little runs and be competitive. Certainly, I don't think they're going to compete for the South. They've got some stiff competition at the top, but they're 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 definitely looking up since since the Quinn firing. Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. Um, I think also it's kind of funny. Todd Gurley's found a little bit of rejuvenation in Atlanta this year, I think, just because he's on that one year contract deal. Um, You know, we're we're still halfway through the season. We'll, We'll see what happens. Uh, going down the playoff push. Um, any other news and notes from the one o'clock games? Not a whole lot. I mean, just uh, just a quick note on Seattle and Buffalo. That was probably my surprise of the of the early games. Um, obviously, Seattle's defense, similar to Atlanta's, doesn't always have that same kick to it. But Josh Josh Allen outdueling Russell Wilson was not on my uh, play card for yesterday. But Josh Allen looked really, really good. And, and if they can kind of keep him at that same level moving forward through the season, I mean, hey, Buffalo's seven and two. I don't know if anybody would have pegged them to be seven and two, but here we are. Yeah. And uh, real quick before we go to four o'clock, I almost forgot the Kansas City Carolina game. I don't know if you caught any of that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, they kept bouncing to it on red zone. I mean, it was probably the game of the day, really. Um, and I mean, just what a game. Uh, Carolina and Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, we're both WVU graduates and, you know, I'm sure you'll hear us mention that, you know, over and over as WVU uh, fans, but uh, I did not think Matt Rule would be a good coach in the NFL. I thought he would be like a Steve Spurrier type where, you know, it it just doesn't work out, but he has found something in Teddy Bridgewater uh, to get him 
uh, to play well, especially yesterday. And I think part of that was because McCaffrey came back um, off injured reserve. And uh, I think Kansas City was a little shocked yesterday. It, it certainly helps to have playmakers. Look, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is a bad quarterback. I, I think uh, since his injury, I, I can't pinpoint the year. What was that, 2016, 2015? Yeah, 2016. With his injury. So, I mean, I don't think he's ever been a bad quarterback but it helps to have those weapons. I think Matt rule kind of opened up that style. Hey, look, the big 12 is going to help you run a, <laughs> run a more open <laughs> offense. I don't know how many of our listeners are big 12 football fans, but Holy moly. That's, I mean, that's what big 12 football is. So it's, it's interesting to see it translate to the NFL, but I mean, the, the quarterback to beat in the league, still Patrick Mahomes. I mean, we can, we can talk about the, the Panthers. I mean, sure. They played great, but Mahomes is something special. I I petitioned in my own mind for the Steelers to move up and draft him in 2017. And I think we picked 28th and the Chiefs got him at 10. So that was never going to happen. But the the dude can absolutely play and he shows it week in and week out. Even when he struggles, he plays well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ain't that the truth? Okay. Moving on to the four o'clock games. Uh, before we get what I know you're wanting to talk about, uh, which was America's Game of the Week uh, in uh, Dallas and Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, it's pretty much just because of their history. Uh, before we get to that game, uh, Vegas and the Los Angeles Chargers. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, one weird. of those teams. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> one of those teams people weren't talking about hanging into the season because everyone was on Arizona as the dark horse. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you'll hear that coming up later uh, in our uh, special first uh, guest interview. Uh, but, Vegas is a team that I think can make the playoff push. Uh, Derek Carr plays well. Josh Jacobs is one of the best backs. Uh, I think he's personally underrated in the NFL. I know he's on a lot of fantasy rosters. Um, But, I mean, they play so well. They have such good defense. And I think something, you know, John Gruden has found the transition from his, like, first, you know, stint back with Oakland to where it's working finally with him and Derek. And they're finding a system, and it's not just like they're beating easy cupcakes. They're one of truly the most underrated teams in the NFL. Well, and, and to your point about the playoff push, they absolutely are in playoff contention. And, and one of the teams that is, I mean, probably going to make the playoffs. The issue is, is it's no small task to make the playoffs in the AFC this year, though. Um, you know, we're talking about Pittsburgh and Baltimore, Buffalo, the Colts, the Titans, the Chargers, and, and I mean, the Raiders. I mean, it, it is going to be – and the Browns. I mean, heck, the Browns are, what, five and three? So we're, we're talking about a tough conference. Now, things will shake out in the next eight weeks that really separate teams, but I think you're right. I think John Gruden's resurgence um, is kind of brought back a little bit of that Raider toughness, right? Maybe it's the new uh, – maybe it's the new stadium. They get to play in a new stadium, and it really brings back that old Raider grit. But, um, you know, they're, they're tougher, they're meaner. And I, I think they look like a playoff team. And I think they might be a couple years away from being a contender. Put a couple more pieces together, uh, let things shake out. I don't know how much longer that window would, would kind of be open for because, I mean, Josh Jacobs will probably require money soon. I don't think they'll be able to pay him and Carr and everybody else. But they, they certainly have a, an opportunity where they could make a deeper run in the next four years. Yeah, Um that would not uh, surprise me at all. Okay. Pittsburgh, Dallas. I'm going to let you take the reins on this. I know that it's been eaten at you all day. Uh, we're recording this on Monday uh, before Monday night football. Um, go ahead. Give me your thoughts and then I'll give you mine. It, it's, I don't know if there's actually a Monday night game tonight, but that's, that's six and one. <laughs> um, yeah. it, I, I know you mentioned it earlier, but but I am a Steeler fan, so you'll hear me be um, a, a Steeler fan at times going through this. First, first off, eight and is eight and To to many people's surprise, the Steelers have never been eight and I mean, and that's that's four Super Bowl teams in the '70s, some good teams in the '90s, two Super Bowl in the 2000s. They've never been eight and It's tough to win in the NFL week in and week out. Um, I think I think it did us no favors with the Tennessee COVID situation. I'm not blaming Tennessee, but having to go on the road to Tennessee, on the road to Baltimore, and then on the road to Dallas, playing three straight road games against two very tough teams, and then a team that obviously wasn't going to give up against Dallas, I mean, that's certainly not, not easy. It's just there are things that have to improve. 
we're we're yeah, not going to yeah. beat you know as as the Steelers I say we're we're like I'm part of the team I'm not um you know they're 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 not going to be able to beat the Chiefs maybe even a team like the Bills or maybe even the Ravens again at that level of play but they know that that's that's not for me to tell them they know that they can't win games like that they have to come out and and give it a better effort but at the same time going out and beating a team like the Ravens in the same fashion last week gives me hope because you have to be able to win games ugly and you have to be able to win games pretty. I don't remember a game that I've sat back as easy as the 38-7 Browns game in years. So it, it's nice to know that they can win games both ways. It doesn't mean that my heart's still not beating irregularly, but it's it's going to be tough to win games. I expect them to lose maybe two three games down the stretch. I'm glad that they pulled it off yesterday. I'm, I'm impressed that they have a franchise record at 8-0 now. And, um, you know, big shout out to Mike Tomlin, 14 consecutive seasons of non-losing seasons. That's, that's not easy to do. No, it is uh, not. I mean, they did get a huge fine um, the other day for all the COVID, um, you know, policies in the NFL. Um, But I mean, you know, one thing watching that game yesterday and uh, you know, I mentioned it to you off air that pass uh, that got called back on the kickoff uh, for anyone who didn't see it, there was a block in the back and there was almost like a 96 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, That was the most electric play of the game for me. Anyway, Um, I didn't really have a dog in the fight, Um, but Dallas, you know, no Andy Dalton, right? No Dak Prescott, Uh, Zeke. I I don't know what's going on with Zeke, but I, I feel like part of that is he's losing interest to tell you the truth. Uh, because there is no, you know, clear cut, like, Hey, we just fired Jason Garrett, someone we didn't want to fire many, many years. You know, he kept us at least competitive and now they bring in Mike McCarthy. And I know it's only year one and, you know, this may be overreaction, but I mean, like Mike McCarthy does not look like the answer because Mike McCarthy in green Bay, the same exact head coach, Aaron Rodgers is now, you know, back to old Aaron Rodgers without Mike McCarthy, you know, having Matt LaFleur up there in green Bay. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the same thing in Dallas where, you know, they got good pieces around the team, but I just don't feel like, you know, down the stretch that I feel like Mike McCarthy to tell you the truth, you know, here's a hot take for you. I feel like Mike McCarthy might be fired at the end of next season, not this year, because mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be too many coaches fired at the end of this year due to COVID really. Um, but I mean, it's just there's something in Dallas where it's just not clicking. Well, and, and to my earlier point, I, I talked about the Cowboys being able to come back and kind of be division owners potentially in the East. I don't envision that with Mike McCarthy as head coach. I, I don't necessarily know who the answer is for them at head coach, but just seeing how this is all shaken out in the first year, I mean, certainly you can't predict a Dak Prescott injury. I mean, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely horrifying for anybody who is watching that and, and is a Cowboys fan because that kind of ruins your season. Look, I get it. Um, but, but I don't know who the answer is at head coach. I just don't know if it's Mike McCarthy. I, I think they, they may have to move on. Um, your point's well taken about the COVID and in, in how that could affect coaching fires, but they're, they're going to have to figure some things out, mostly on defense. I, I know they relatively held the Steelers in check, but, you just you have to be better than that. You have to be able to close those games out. And I, I, I don't know. This this is just obviously not their season. <laughs> um, no, no, it is not, or or anyone in the NFC East for that matter. Okay, uh, wrapping up NFL. Um, I don't know how much <clears throat> we need to talk about the game from New Orleans and Tampa last night. I mean, we are going to touch on it here though. Um, Tampa did not look good. That's just a flat out fact. Um, they haven't looked good the last two weeks uh, against the Giants. They certainly did not look good uh, last night against New Orleans. Um, Drew Brees um, is becoming the king of the checkdowns, is what I like to say. Uh, just, you know, give it to Taysom Hill or throw to the nearest running back in sight. They did get Michael Thomas back last night. Um, and Jameis Winston got on the field in Tampa, which uh, he did the eating the W thing. I don't know if you saw that um, at the twice. end of the post game. Yeah, twice um with drew Brees next to the yeah i mean it's just um you know what are your thoughts on the game last night i watched until probably the fourth quarter i couldn't watch anymore it was about 38 nothing i think when i turned it off i mean it was a it was a blowout that's the only that's the only word i can think to describe it 
it's it's funny because um i i was actually i know this is a little off topic but i was talking to my dad and, and i told him because he was actually he works nights i told him i said i'll update you on the game i'll kind of give you some updates because i figure it'll be a good one it's it's interesting it's it's one of those games he's a big football fan i would i would message him every score and i would be like you're not going to believe this you are absolutely not going to believe what's happening because i couldn't believe what was happening I would have never predicted a game where Tom Brady's offense and Bruce Arians offense only scored three points. Big testament to the Saints defense. Um, I don't know if you saw the stat about Marshawn Lattimore holding Mike Evans. The last three games that they've played each other, Mike Evans has been targeted two times each of those games. No receptions. Wow. I mean, that's, that is a testament to a, a great corner a, against Mike Evans. And you know, there's there's jokes, obviously, on Twitter and everything. They're like, oh, Antonio Brown's already ruined him. I don't think that's the case at all. <laughs> I think what they're going to have to do is you have to regroup because you, you're you going to look at this game, you're going to say, no, straight no. We don't need to know anything about this game. This game sucked. Throw it out, retool, try again. I, I thought that they would split with the Saints, but I, I didn't think that – I certainly didn't think the Saints would beat them by 35 points on, on prime time. No, absolutely not. Okay, moving on to college. Um, so <laughs> the WVU Texas game, uh, <laughs> we're going to have our thoughts on that. Um, you know, I'll go first, I guess. Insert the Jonah Hill meme of the. the yeah, like, yeah. The cut <laughs> Verbal meme. <laughs> WVU Texas game, for anyone who didn't see it, the pass interference call at the end of the game that didn't get called. And, you know, whether this is bias or whatever, it was blatant pass interference. Um, you know, Texas did win the game, and Texas and WVU, I feel like uh, kind of an interesting little back and forth that they have ever since WVU's joined the Big 12 in 2012, where they just – they always have these close games, and they always seem to play up to each other's strengths, really. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why that is because WVU doesn't play – you know, I think the only team they haven't beat since uh, they joined the conference is Oklahoma in football. Um, which is kind of crazy considering Oklahoma and Texas are really on the same level, to tell you the truth, um, you know, for most part. Um, you know, that Jared Daigie did play okay. He, he did. Uh, he had a couple, uh, you know, missed passes that I thought he could have made um, in the second quarter uh, going down the stretch. Uh, Texas's defense, you know, look, I know they're, you know, probably not going to be in the Big 12 ch championship game, um, but – Texas's defense and Sam Ellinger, uh, him being a senior, uh, I think kind of pulled them through the rough part of those games, really. Um, but the pass interference call, I mean, that's just a call that you have to make. Um, unfortunately, you know, it wasn't, you know, it is what it is. Um, and, and Texas, you know, it, <laughs> I don't think it's a home bias thing either. I just think, you know, sometimes refs don't want to give those calls late in games because they know things mm -hmm. like that can happen and they would rather deal with, you know, people complaining on the side of the call not being made than the call being made like they do sometimes and then having the reverse and say we shouldn't have made that call um thoughts on the wvu texas game to to your last point you're going to hear fights either way people are going to be mad whether they make the call or they don't make the call it just depends who you ask i mean that's that's the way it traditionally is with wvu fans i mean any fan i'm not calling out wvu fans but um you know i i I think one of the big things that you're noticing is, and and I'm the I'm one of the top Neil Brown supporters in this town. I I, I think he's a great person. He's great for this program. It's going to take time for people to realize that his offense is is different. It's not the same as what Dana Hogerson's offense was. It's not this high flying electric superstar offense that that we've that we've seen in the past. It's a little bit more reserved. It's a little bit more focused on the run, and that's okay. Honestly, in the Big 12, that's what's probably going to do us favors is having a little bit more of a ground game that we can control the clock so we're not getting in a bunch of shootouts. But uh, one thing that I think that you said that's interesting that comes out of this is um, the WVU-Texas, and, and I'll air quote this, rivalry. Um, because I don't know how often you get asked this, but folks will often ask, they're like, well, who's WVU's rival? And, and I think since we I, – I don't know – I don't know who WVU's rival is. Since they've joined the Big 12, they haven't really made an enemy of sorts. But I think if, if anyone, if we're talking about the team that, 
we typically go back and forth with the best, I would call it Texas. No, I don't think we're Texas rival. We're never going to replace the Red River. Let me try that again. Red River rivalry. <laughs> but but I think that we've kind of grown to, I don't want to say not like Texas, but we've definitely grown to circle that game on the schedule as this is going to be a tough game year in and year out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so while you were looking in that up, transitioning to a couple, uh, you know, other games from the college football slate uh, this past Saturday, um, Indiana versus Michigan, uh, you know, I know that you were probably watching WVU Texas, same as I was, but I was switching back and forth between that uh, Indiana, Indiana, Michigan game, WVU Texas before Indiana really pulled it away. Uh, I was looking up a stat uh, while you were talking there. This is the first time Indiana has been uh, ranked in the top 10 and also three and O since 1988. Um, and Casual. their next game this Saturday, uh, they play Michigan state uh, on the road. That's, a tricky game, so you don't want to get caught up there, but I think that's a win. And then next Saturday, they play at Iowa, Ohio State, excuse me. Um, and look, Indiana, I did not think they were going to beat Penn State. I did not think they were going to win last week uh, against Rutgers. I did not think they were going to beat uh, Michigan this past weekend. They have done a great job over that program, and – you know, they're, they're truly, you know, they have to play Ohio State, and I think they'll lose that game. But they're one of the best teams in the Big Ten this, uh, this season, and uh, Michigan's really taken a dive off the cliff uh, the last couple um, couple weeks, really, losing to Michigan State last week, uh, losing to Indiana uh, this past weekend. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh, truly, though, I think he has, uh, as long as a leash as they'll give him, uh, because he is the whole reason they're relevant to begin with. Uh, thoughts on the Big Ten uh, just in general? Well, I mean, as as maybe as surprising as Indiana is, I'm as surprised on the other end of Penn State and Michigan. Because that's, about to say that, yeah. That's that's all that we heard coming into this season. Now, obviously, it's, it's different. And, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, oh, this is unlike anything we've seen before. But when it, when it comes to the Big Ten, all we heard was, oh, Penn State, who's going to challenge Ohio State? Ohio State's still the, still the clear cut. But it's it's nice to see another team gain a little bit of relevancy through that. I thought it might be Penn State because Penn State's always tough. But for them to start 0-3, I mean, that's – or are they 1-3? Who am I thinking No, they're 0-3. They're, they're, they're um, 0-3, okay. I'm pretty sure, Is, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, they, Maryland crushed them this um, you know past weekend. Right, okay. I thought maybe it was – because Maryland lost the first week. Okay, I'm, I'm back on my schedule now. Um, I, I still attribute this shakiness to the Steelers yesterday, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's just as surprising on both ends. And, and I would love to see Indiana give Ohio State a game just, just for the sake of it. Look, I root for the underdogs when I don't have a dog in the fight just because it's fun to see those stories. Um, I don't know if we need another field rush, but I would love to see Indiana upset them and – you know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out, but Ohio State's still the better football team overall. Yeah, I'm glad uh, you brought up the field rush, and we'll, we'll touch on that, uh, you know, at the end of the episode um, here in a, a few moments. Okay, uh, other news around college football, the Florida-Georgia game. Georgia did not look good uh, Saturday against Florida. Uh, Florida, you know, kind of really uh, just took the life out of that game, especially down uh, in the middle of that third quarter. Um, you know, the 330 CBS games, I feel like uh, for SEC football are always good in general. Um, and uh, it, it just was not a good game. Uh, and really, uh, the only good game uh, from the 330 slate um, was Maryland Penn State. And we've already touched on that. You know, Maryland uh, really did uh, a number on Penn State this weekend. Thoughts on Florida, Georgia and uh, the SEC? Well, the first thing that I want to bring up, and you know, I certainly don't want to get political in this, is is the Georgia um, representative saying that we'll count ballots basically after the game because it's too big of a game. M- mad respect, because I, I I feel that everything comes second to football in that regard. But um, actually, regarding the game, Kyle Trask is the real deal for them. One thing that Florida has struggled with, I think maybe since the Tim Tebow era, is to find a quarterback that can lead this team. 
And he has certainly stepped into that role and, and been that person. It, it's similar to the Saints and Bucks where I didn't expect it because that was one of those games that it kind of got a little bit closer in the end. Um, you know, Georgia scores a later touchdown and, and brings it within about 14. So Florida's clearly the better team there. And I think Florida is the best team, obviously, in the SEC, not named Alabama. I think people are from Texas A&M might not want to hear that because they did beat them, but that stuff happens in the SEC. Um, the guy that, that always stands out to me, I've been saying it all season, and I think everybody is because they watch college football. Kyle Pitts is, is a monster. Kyle Pitts is very but good. When it comes to the NFL draft time, somebody is going to get somebody – that is going to make their team happy for about the next 10 years because that dude can absolutely play. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't his greatest game, but the, the dude can absolutely still play. And it helps when you have all those weapons, Georgia, Georgia looked flat quarterback play was not great. Florida ran away with it. Yeah. Uh, yes, they did. Um, okay. So wrapping up college, uh, not only just the game of the day uh, for me, it might've been the game of the weekend really outside of that uh, Kansas city, Carolina game uh, from this past Sunday, the Clemson Notre Dame game. Um, I mean, what a game, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, test positive for COVID a couple weeks ago, you know, he's allowed to travel the team, but he needs to pass a breathing test. I don't understand that, you know, and I know each conference has different rules for COVID testing. Uh, the big 12 does the big 10 does. I mean, Wisconsin hasn't played a game in two weekends, you know, and big 10 is doing an eight game schedule, but DJ, and I will not pronounce the last name, but the backup quarterback, uh, cause I cannot pronounce the last name had a great game Saturday, really really kept Clemson in that game. Uh, Ian Book played very well uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, uh, especially with two minutes left to go in that game to get Notre Dame into overtime. Um, and I've never been, you know, an Ian Book guy. I just think that there is something there, uh, especially when they played Clemson in the playoffs uh, two years ago and they lost 30-3, uh, to three, that there's just something that Ian Book, you know, I, I just don't think he's a good quarterback to tell you the truth. Um, you know, I know that other people are going to disagree with me on that and that's okay. Um, but I mean, what a game. And then you get down to overtime, very first play. You have DJ who throws a pass into the end zone. The, for anyone who didn't see it, the receiver goes down on the goal line with the ball. He's, he's across the plane. They take a look at it. They call it a touchdown and then they reverse their own call after looking at it. And then they put the ball on the half yard line. It's just like, what are we doing here? Um, and so, you know, you have things like that, that happen in the game. And then you get to double OT. Well, once again, we have touchdowns being reviewed that don't need to be reviewed. Notre Dame scores a touchdown clear as day, clear as day that he is across his whole body's in the end zone. They're reviewing it. And Dabo Sweeney's running down the sidelines. Brian Kelly's doing the same thing. Like, guys, what are we doing here? Um, thoughts on the Notre Dame Clemson game. And here's something we did not mention yet about that game. Fans rushing the field in a COVID-19 world without masks, taking selfies with players. Uh, I mean, you know, someone let that happen like the security guards at Notre Dame, or I don't know who it was, but I mean, I get it. You know, you're only having 25% of your fans, but I mean, you know, do we really Still need to rush the field? 25% of them on the field. Yeah. Do we need to rush the field during a pandemic uh, thoughts on the Notre Dame Clemson game? So I actually, I want to start it with a question kind of back to you because obviously hindsight's 2020 watching the game. Clemson comes out in the first overtime. They throw that touchdown in quick strike 25 yards in and it might be a mute point a moot point but does that change the momentum a little bit for Clemson having to come back and run another play uh I don't know if it changes the momentum but um I do think the fact that the refs were continuing to review plays that did not need to be reviewed and at one point, Tariko said to Tony Dungy in the booth, Tony, I, I, don't, I don't get this. And Tony was like, Mike, I'm, I don't understand it either. I, I don't know what we're doing here. Like stuff like that, 
I don't think really takes momentum out. I think calls do. I think like mm-hmm. penalties and stuff do during certain football games, but I don't think like reviewing calls. I think the fact that they went back on their word and said it was a touchdown and then took it back after already reviewing it once and then going back to review it a second time, just it, it makes no sense to me. Um, I've never seen anything like that in a football game where the same play has been reviewed twice by officials. They were both booth reviews. Mm-hmm. They weren't challenges. Yeah, and, and the only reason I ask that is because I, I think maybe as a defense, so put yourself in Clemson's defensive shoes for a second. You run out, quick 25-yard strike, touchdown. You're feeling it. You're like, all right, this game's in hand. We, we got this. That was a quick strike. We can do this. Now, I mean, that doesn't necessarily insinuate that Notre Dame doesn't come out and score, but it definitely gives them more confidence going on the field. Um Obviously, it would have been a lot different if Clemson didn't score. I mean, of course, they're on the, the half-yard line with that play. But I think it does take a little bit of wind out of their sails. Now, I don't think it completely deflates them. But it, it definitely suggests, like, why did we – to your point, why did we review that? We did not have to do that. That, you know, we're going to make it anyway. I, I understand. And, and if I'm not mistaken, was that the play that was reviewed twice, called a touchdown, and then not called a touchdown? Or am I thinking of yes. a different play? No, you, no, that's, okay. that's the same play, yeah. So, I mean, to call it to call it a touchdown, to call it a touchdown, and then to not call it a touchdown is a, is a bizarre move. I've never seen that. So, I, I think I think as you're standing over there on the sideline as a player, you're what are what's actually going on in the field right now? Because who knows if it was a touchdown? So, uh, again, I, I don't know if it pulls complete momentum, but it definitely suggests to you that that there's not something i'm not suggesting that the refs were in on the game that's that's ridiculous but it it is definitely weird um the rushing the field is is a is a crazy move yeah it's absurd and i i hate i hate to say it like this but i almost don't blame the students because that's what students do when you're talking about kids that are 18 to 23 years old, I mean, obviously they're adults, they should be responsible. That's a, that's a whole different conversation. You have to be able to put a measure in place to suggest that that does not happen because you, you not during a season like this. No, absolutely not. I have no problem with rushing the field. That's that's I'll, I'll die on that hill. I have no problem rushing the field at all. But during a season like this, it is a very strange move. And, and one, of the, one of the funny videos is, um, as you see him kind of run on the field, there's a player who kind of like spins out of a hug a little yeah. bit. I, I don't know if you saw it. Um, I, I couldn't tell you who it was, but it was one of the Notre Dame players. Somebody like kind of comes up to like almost give him a chest bump and he kind of just spins out of it. Like, I'm, I'm not here for this. But you, you just have to get off the field. And, and I mean, I certainly hope it doesn't affect Notre Dame's season. Because when you just knocked off the number one team, you're really feeling good going into the next week, thinking that you might have a legitimate playoff chance. And if that gets ruined by COVID, I would imagine that there's going to be 100 guys in that locker room that are not very happy with their student body. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, Okay. Uh, NFL wrapped up, college wrapped up. Uh, First episode in the books. Um, Ryan, I think people are going to like our ad name. Ferk interview. Um, he, a <laughs> uh, little insight uh, for people. Uh, so we get to the interview and uh, Adnan's like, uh, you know, just asking us some uh, questions and he's like, you know, how long have you guys uh, been on the air? And uh, we tell him this is our first episode. And uh, he started la- laughing. He did not realize that uh, he was the first guest on the first episode. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was a good interview and I think people like it. Um, yeah. So for, first episode in the books. Yeah, for sure. One thing I want to say before we head out here, um, I want to give a big shout out to um, our friend B Blue Design um, for doing our logo. Uh, Whenever you check us out on social media, Uh, Ben's been a friend of mine for, gosh, almost 20 years, and he's an amazing graphic designer. Um, So, you know, whenever you told me we needed a logo, I knew exactly who I was going to. So uh, you guys can check him out on social media. We'll tag him on social media again. Uh, It's two Bs, B Blue Design. If you need a logo done, if you just want a graphic done for something, um, he designs tattoos too for certain uh, certain folks too, if you ask. So give him some love because he certainly helped us out whenever we needed a logo. So check him out too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, big shout out to him for doing the logo. And uh, that's it. Uh, we'll see, see you guys on uh, 
uh, Friday uh, for some weekend preview stuff, college and NFL uh, recap uh, Thursday night football, of course, um, or as much of, uh, of it as we can. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll uh, see you Friday. See you guys. Now our interview with Adnan Virk. All right, folks, we now welcome on uh, the host of the GM Shuffle podcast, also the host of the Cinephile podcast and legendary sportscaster and personality, Adnan Virk. Adnan, thank you for joining us this evening, and welcome to the Two Ryan Sports Show. Two Ryans, what's going on, fellas? Uh, legendary is a stretch, but I appreciate it. That's a nice <laughs> intro. Um, it's good to be with you guys. Listen, this is a smart move by you. You know, I get, I get um, somebody slides into my DMs every day, Instagram uh, and podcasts, uh, Twitter, Hey, I do a podcast. Can you come do this? And there's just only so many hours in the day, right? I got four kids. I got four jobs. But you guys were smart. You did the cameo. So I'm like, you know what? You essentially paid $25. So there's no way I was going to say no to that. So hopefully some other people figure out how smart you guys were. This was a good investment. And obviously, like I said, there's no way I was going to say no to this. Well, I bought you Subway tonight. So it it clearly worked out for something. Exactly. I just worked on some uh, some flat uh, flatbread sub turkey sub. Good to go. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, Adnan, um, we have a couple questions here for you relating to a couple different sports and sports seasons here. Um, so we want to start with the MLB because obviously, and and you've heard it a million times, it's been a season like no other. It's a statement that's been said so many times on every show. Um, but one thing that I'm I'm most interested in is is kind of looking forward to next year because there's still a lot of uncertainty heading into 2021. So what's going to be the big differences heading into the next season with regard to the winter meetings, how that's going to differ and and what's kind of the scope of 2021 overall? Yeah. So winter meetings are not going to be happening in December in San Diego. That's my understanding, but you know, they're still going to try to replicate it. Like I think MLB network, my understanding is I think we still may do some shows, whether it's, you know, just talking to GMs or executives trying to figure out, what the lay of the land is, because there's obviously lots of great free agents available. George Springer, Trevor Bauer, Marcus Stroman. Um, you know, there's tons of guys up there. JT Realmuto. You're like, yeah, I'm curious where they're going to go. So I think for this year, winter meetings, Ryan, obviously uh, it's not going to be the same. It's not like some hotel where everybody's getting together and trying to get information and make a big splash. But MLB now, we're certainly still going to cover it, especially whenever names get signed, we'll do it. And as far as next year is concerned, listen, we just got to get a vaccine. You know what I mean? I, I keep telling people, we got to get through the election first knock on wood we're there uh we got to get a vaccine now pfizer says they're 90 percent of the way there so you know that that's step by step here we got a president new president coming in president like biden he's going to plan to try to contain the virus we got to get a vaccine from pfizer or whomever else get that vaccine mass spread so that you and i can just go pick it up anywhere in the store that's at least i think six to nine months away mm-hmm. so um you know if you do the math on it the good news is for baseball like we got killed because the timing of the pandemic mid-March, just as the season was about to start. But the good news for baseball is now we've got more time than the other sports. You know, football is right in the middle of this as we're about to have a second wave. Numbers are skyrocketing everywhere. Basketball is going to try to start their season December 22nd. I believe there's going to be 25% fans in the suites, I read. Hockey, they're hoping to start 2021 early. We don't know for certain. So baseball is actually in the best shape. They go, all right, you know what? Our season starts April 1st. We proved last year you can do a three-week spring training if need be. So as far as I'm concerned, you and I are talking. The three of us are talking here. It's November, whatever it is, November 8th. All right, so let me know by March 8th. If by March 8th we have a vaccine, which I'm fairly confident we will, good to go. I think we're going to play 162. I still don't know how widespread fans will be because, like I said, the vaccine has got to be readily available to somebody. If I take my kids and I go get sick, well, hey, can I go get the vaccine or how is that going to work? But I think the players can then get tested widespread across the board, executives, no question, uh, stadium workers, all that can be taken care of. So if we have a vaccine by March 8th, spring training's three weeks, season starts April 1, I'll feel great about it. Uh, piggybacking off that, Adnan, how do you feel MLB handled COVID, especially with the alternate universe we could have had if there was a game seven and Turner was not, you know, no disciplinary action, um, and it seems like the MLB kind of really dropped the ball on this. I thought there was going to be something come down, but no punishment at all. I did also think there'd be a punishment, Ryan, but when I actually read the statement, it makes sense to me. I mean, if it had been what I think you and I were envisioning, which is Justin Turner test pause and lifted from the game and sits there like in a darkened stairwell and goes, I'm going out there. And like he bulldozed the security guard, like, you know, punched a cop and ran on the field. Well, then obviously that's wrong. But once I actually read the statement, I'm like, okay, so he gets pulled from the game, test positive. 
he's there. And then his teammates are saying, hey, come on out on the field. Most of the guys are gone now. Let's just go get a picture, you and your wife. And they're like, hey, you, if, if you're positive, you've already been infected. What's the difference at this point? And apparently he asked one of the Dodgers officials, and apparently one of the Dodgers officials told him, yeah, go ahead. And then on the way to the field, two Dodgers officials he passed who also didn't stop him. So I, I agree with you. Listen, it's not uh, sound judgment, certainly. He should not have gone back in the field. You and I are 100% on this. But I'm taking it out of the game. It's the World Series. I want to celebrate. It's a once-in-a-lifetime achievement. My teammates are saying, come. I ask an official, and the official says, yeah, go for it. And two other guys on the way there are like, no, whatever. I, 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 I don't know. Like that's, that, that's, that's certainly blame to be had on both sides. And even Major League Baseball staff afterwards, Rob Manfred said, listen, we should have had a security guard there with him at all times. And to be further, actually, once he tested positive, they should have just escorted him to the hotel. Like, why can't you just be a security guard and go, hey, man, I'll walk you right to the hotel. You're going to stay in your room and just quarantine for however long. So, um, listen, it was certainly a bad look. I agree with you that it shouldn't have happened, and it's unfortunate that it happened. But it's a learning lesson for all sides. I've always liked Justin Turner a lot. He's a great guy. I just interviewed him two weeks ago on Intentional Talk. I was filling in for Chris Rose as Kevin Millar. Funny guy, gregarious guy. Hits the ball a ton, especially in the playoffs. So I think it was unfortunate. It's a learning experience for all sides. And I think baseball learned from it. And they realized, you know what? Like I said, even if we have a vaccine by March 8th, we're still in another woods. We still might be wearing masks. Uh, that, I mean, that would, I think that would be likely the case, actually, for the players, for the fans. If there's 25% fans at stadiums, I'm just guessing here. I think we're all probably still wearing masks until June or July, until the vaccine's readily available. So I think it's, uh, like I said, a learning experience, and hopefully we all grow from it. Sure. Well, one one thing about that, you said um, fans wearing masks. I live close to Pittsburgh and, and trust me, I missed PNC Park last year, as yeah. I'm sure many fans miss their ballparks around the nation. So hopefully we can have fans back and, and quickly in stadiums. Um, so I want to switch gears here real quick, talk about another sport. Um, so let's kind of jump in the NFL, because as you mentioned, we're in the midst of the season. We're halfway through. Things are kind of shaking out. So halfway through. Who are the real contenders in the NFL? Who are the real teams that are, are kind of making a case for themselves to say, hey, we can make a deep playoff run? Well, I think it's the Steelers, no question, even though they showed how vulnerable they were against the Giants. I mean, it's still shock excuse me, the Cowboys. It's still shocking how well Dallas played, but ultimately eight no's eight no. I think they sort of kicked that field goal rather than going on fourth and one. They get stopped. Also, momentum gets the other way. The Cowboys, again, with a fourth string quarterback, I'm still shocked it was that close. But Roethlisberger certainly played his best in a while. I love Chase Claypool, fellow Canadian. He's been great. Uh, their defense is tremendous. They sack a lot of guys. They put pressure on the quarterback. I, I think Pittsburgh is a clear-cut number one contender. I think Seattle is a good contender, but they got to improve that defense. They're not winning anything without that defense the way it is. They got 44 points to the Bills yesterday. They made uh, Josh Allen look like Jim Kelly. I mean, he threw for four and 15 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, you're, you're not. I don't care how good Russell Wilson is. You know, let Russ cook. Maybe he's the first half MVP. He also had four turnovers yesterday, which was very atypical for Russ. So I would have liked to have said it is um, Seattle, but I'm a little bit worried about them. I think there's always a dark horse special, you know, Arizona maybe, um, just because I love Kyler Murray. They lose to Miami, but it was a 34-31 win. They almost pulled off a win on the road. You know, always, always look for kind of a surprise team. Maybe Arizona deep run. I don't think Green Bay has got what it takes. They're 6-2. and two. But uh, I worry a little bit about their lack of receiving core. After Devontae Adams, I don't know how much they give Aaron Rodgers. So why not New Orleans? You know, New Orleans, I thought that was a big win against the Bucs. I really thought Tampa Bay was going to win it. And New Orleans, they took it to them. I mean, they just, they just embarrassed the Bucs on the road. Drew Brees cannot throw the ball downfield the way he used to. Can't throw for 30, 40 yards. We know that. But he's still accurate. He completes the ball 73% of the time. Defense was the best defense they played all year. They shut down Brady. They had a great attack. And Kamara, I think, is one of the best players in football. I think he's an MVP consideration pick. And then, of course, the Chiefs. Again, I assume I worry about their defense, but Mahomes is incredible, uh, as is Andy Reid. So, uh, and Kelsey, obviously, is one of the great tight ends of all time. So I would go Chiefs, Steelers, Saints, Seahawks, if they improve their D. Those are the four that I'm looking at right now. You know, piggybacking off that, you talked about Tampa. Um, are <sighs> – are they actually legitimate? I mean, you look at the last two games. They did not play well against New York on Monday Night Football. They certainly did not play well last night. I am in the camp of, you know, I think Tom Brady, you know, this should be his final year. I think if he plays next year, it'll be like an Adam Vinatieri thing where he plays one year too long. But I think right now is his yeah. sweet spot. But 
are they actually a legitimate contender? You know what? It's interesting. The defense, previously they looked great, especially against the run. And I like Ndamukong Sue and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. They had a good secondary. I think Levante Davids are one of their linebackers. He's pretty good. So I would like to say the Buccaneers and their offense, certainly with Brady and Mike Evans. And again, the one thing I've learned with football, especially this past weekend, is unless those old quarterbacks have protection, they're in trouble. So when there was pressure from the Saints on Brady, they made his life miserable. That's why he threw three interceptions. He got sacked a bunch of times. You know, that's going to be a problem. He's got to have great protection. Otherwise, guys like him, guys like uh, Breeze, guys like Phillip Rivers are just not going to be successful. So I think if they have great offensive line protection, I think if their D improves, I do think Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, I mean, that's a pretty good receiving core. That's, that's tough to beat that. Gronk is not the same guy he once was. I think he's good. But in answer to your point, Ron, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. I think they're a playoff team. I feel like they're 10-6, and six, which going into the year, I thought they'd be like 9-7. and seven, So maybe they're a little better than I thought, 10-6. and six. But no, I don't see Super Bowl for them. I don't think they can hold up. It's not even really against Brady. I think Brady's been pretty good this year. I just don't think they have enough weapons, especially defensively. Sure. And, and to your point, the defense was kind of the, was kind of the standout at first. So it's, it's interesting to see how a season plays out and that all works. Yeah. Um, so just a couple wrap up questions for you. So you're also the host of your own cinephile podcast. You're a movie guy. We're all sports guys here in this call. So if you're going to sit down, if you're going to sit down one night and say, I'm going to watch three sports movies and I'm going to make it the ultimate sports movie night. Yeah. And then which, which three are you picking? Well, it's tough not to pick Rocky because, you know, you get fired up afterwards and you can pretend that you're screaming for Adrian. And <laughs> I think the first one really does hold up as a great movie. It offends me because I do think there was two really good movies that were robbed, which is Taxi Driver, Scorsese's classic mm-hmm. film with Robert De Niro, and Network, which anybody who works in the media knows that might be the best movie ever made about television. I've been working in television for 22 years. And Sidney Lumet directed it and Peter Finch won an Oscar and uh, Faye Dunaway. It's amazing. Having said that, it's not Rocky's fault. Like, if they won Best Picture, good for them. And it's still a great movie. It still holds up. It's still the ultimate underdog story. The stories behind it are great. The fact that Stallone wrote the script. They wanted to buy the script. They said, we don't see you as the lead. He goes, no, I'm only making this movie unless I'm the lead actor. He believed in himself. He bet on himself, much like the real Rocky Balboa. And I love the fact he loses. Like, to me, that's what makes it a great movie. Actually, like, he doesn't win the fight. He loses. But he wins because he goes the distance and he hugs Adrian and all the rest of it. So Rocky's a tough one to ignore. Uh, I love Field of Dreams. Uh, I always liked it when I was younger. Now that I seem to become a dad, I really love it because it's all about fathers and sons and redemption and all the rest of it. I love the cast. Costner, uh, obviously James Earl Jones, Timothy Busfield is a bad guy, Amy Madigan, Burt Lancaster, Moonlight Graham. I think it's a wonderful script. It's well adapted by Phil Alden Robinson. He adapted the script by W.P. Kinsella and directed it. So Ray Liotta, obviously, is a shoeless Joe. It's just a really sweet movie. I know it's a little sentimental for some people, but listen, if you love baseball like we do, I think you can forgive the fact it's a little schmaltzy. Uh, you know, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? You really can't beat that. Uh, so those are two I think are great. And then basketball, you know, Hoosiers I think is a little dated. I love Hoop Dreams. It's a great documentary, but it's a little intense. I don't know if you want to watch that. for It's, you know, two hours and 50 minutes. It's about a couple of guys from the projects in Chicago not able to get it done. So I, I might um, – I'd probably go with Major League, to be honest with you. I was – I want to honorable mention Eight Men Out, which is a great movie from John Sales. It's about the Black Sox scandal. Terrific cast. Got John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, John Mahoney. Um, you've got a, raw, a lot of really good young uh, – David Strathairn plays Eddie Seacott. It's a really underrated movie. It's about you know morally compromised people and the White Sox and the Black Sox and all the rest of it. But if you're looking for entertainment, the way you phrased it was like, hey, look at a good time. So I would think I'd go with Rocky, Feel of Dreams, and Major League. Major League is one of the most quotable movies ever. Euchre ad-libbed the whole thing. I mean, Willie Mays Hayes, I mean, Charlie Sheen again, Tom Berenger, tough to beat Major League. You've you pretty much just described my whole life as Major League <laughs> being quotable. That, that's, that's, a, that's a daily thing for me to walk around and quote it. So I appreciate oh, yeah. that. Absolutely, right. It's a great one. No question about it. <laughs> um, Adnan, before we uh, let you go, uh, very final question here. Um, obviously, the pandemic, you know, hit all of us hard, you know, this whole country. Um, but, you know, one thing I think that it's going to take time for our movie theaters to recover and yeah. what has been the best movie release of 2020 i mean we still got christmas day right now wonder woman with patty jenkins as director you know they're pushing for a release on that free guy ryan reynolds they're pushing for a december release on that is there one movie that sticks out to you as the best release of 2020 it's a great question ryan here's what's really interesting to note as you know normally the oscars are late february so oscar season will be right now but they have pushed the oscars 
from late February until late April. So now Oscar season by that arithmetic would be late January, February, March. So it answers you to question, well, hopefully we'll get a couple of those popcorn movies, Wonder Woman 1984 and Free Guy in the December. Although I, I listen, what happened with Tenet is really unfortunate. It's done great internationally, $284 million internationally. Domestically, it's only grossed, I think, $54 million. So it's a real disappointment, right? The movie costs $200 million. I think it's going to break even, but they're expecting that to be a huge juggernaut. It wasn't. So every other movie got spooked and said, okay, we're not going to pull a Tenet. In all respect to Christopher Nolan, movie theaters are still not open yet in New York City. They're not open in a lot of California. Forget it. That's like 15% of the population. Not worth it. So I worry for movie theaters. I think they will come back. I mean, here in Jersey, I go to my local movie theater. I've been twice. I took my kids to go see The War with Grandpa to support my man De Niro. Um, we went, I, I went and saw Tenet to support in the theaters. It was great. So I, I hope people go back. But again, I respect that. I totally understand people don't want to go. Although I was reading this article today, Hollywood Reporter. Movie theaters might be safer than you realize. It's huge, first of all. It's well ventilated. So for the air, it's good. And everyone's got a mask on. You know, Unless you're eating popcorn and stuff and you're six feet away, it's relatively safe. But again, I understand people are skittish and I totally get that. Um, so of the movies I've seen, like again, I'm waiting for the big ones. Nomadland is a movie I'm really waiting for. It's supposed to be awesome. Francis Dorman, Chloe Jaw directed it, played it in my hometown in Toronto, Toronto International Film Festival. Nomadland, I really can't wait for. I thought Trial of Chicago 7 was a bit disappointing. Aaron Sorkin's movie on Netflix. Tell you what, I love Borat too. I don't think it's going to be an Oscar consideration, but I, I did think it was hysterical. I love seeing Sasha Baron Cohen again doing what he does. But I would, I would vote for Defy Bloods. I thought it was a great movie. Spike Lee, Vietnam movie on Netflix. That's the kind of movie that would have had theatrical release. Probably would have been limited, boys. Like, like Spike Lee fans are going to see it. And other fans, because it was on Netflix during the pandemic, I think a lot more people saw it than they would have otherwise. It was actually a real win for Spike. And I thought Delroy Linda was incredible. I just listened to him on the Hollywood Reporter podcast. That whole monologue he gives, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, but it's about um, you know these African-American veterans reuniting years later to go back to Vietnam to find some lost gold. And I thought it was really good. And Delroy Lindo is great. He plays this Trump supporter, MAGA hat, and the rest of the crew is alienated by him. He plays Paul. But it's, it's, a, it's an award-worthy performance. He's a great actor. He was great in Malcolm X and uh, Clockers and uh, Crooklyn. And uh, he's been a really good actor a long time. So I hope Delroy Lindo gets recognized. But I thought The Five Bloods was pretty good. I enjoyed it on Netflix. And like you guys, I'm sure that I used the pandemic to catch up on stuff I'd never seen. Like Succession, I'd heard for years was a great show. And I finally saw it and I'm like, oh, this show's incredible. And then it obviously crushed it at the Emmys. And I believe they're going to start shooting season three either this month or next month. So that's good news. Hopefully we'll get it, you know, by this time next year, you're going to you know, shoot it, you're going to edit it. But I thought Succession was awesome. I'm so happy I saw that show. I love Fargo right now. I think Fargo is one of the best shows on TV. That's on FX. Season four, episode eight just wrapped up. Um, so yeah, the five bloods is good. But I, I think the best movies are still yet to come. Awesome. Well, I know I'm going to, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I'm definitely going to be checking that out now because I trust your recommendation on that. I think yeah, it sounds absolutely. like something that's, <laughs> something that's interesting. Succession's Thanks, a great man. show though. Oh my God. And I, you know, going into it, Ryan, I said, why would I want to watch this? A bunch of rich white people. Like I, I can't relate to that. And then I watched the first episode and I'm like, oh no, no, this is really funny. It's well-written, like razor, razor sharp scalpel writing. And I love the humor of it. It's got that kind of dark humor. And Brian Cox is amazing. For those who haven't seen it, Brian Cox is like a King Lear type, you know, on the edge of his throne, Rupert Murdoch type, perhaps, uh, you know, trying to figure out who to relinquish his throne to. And I thought all the characters are so devilishly entertaining. And the guy I love is Jeremy Strong. You know, going in, I said, who is this guy? I've never seen this guy before. And I think he's the heart of the show. He won the Emmy for Best Actor season two. I thought he was tremendous. He plays Kendall Roy, who is uh, the main, uh, the eldest son of Brian Cox's family. So check out Succession. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, we have some stuff to watch now, and that's that's what we'll do through the rest of this as the second wave comes. So, Adnan, um, first and foremost, thank you for everything. We really appreciate you coming out tonight, spending a little bit of time with us. And uh, secondly, I hope that you and your family stay safe through all of this, continue to do the right things. Again, we appreciate it, and um, I hope, again, you guys stay safe and take care. The two Ryans. Appreciate it, boys. Hope you guys stay safe. Hope your families are safe. The second wave could be a little gnarly, we know that, but at least we went through it once, right? We're all in this together, and uh, I really appreciate you guys supporting me and my career. It's very kind of you guys. Before I go, I want to know what's over your shoulder here, Ryan. What kind of pictures we got here? You mean okay, back here? So um, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit of a metalhead. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it might not be as obvious as it sounds, but I got a couple of tour posters back there. Um my finger's over it right there. That's the legendary Rage Against the Machine, Against album, Machine. Cover, yeah, okay. album cover. So when I sit in Zoom meetings on work every day, this is what people see. And I'm like, 
now I'm going to be highly judged for my Rage Against the Machine poster, but it's just a great album. I mean, that's that's all that it's up there for. Well, I, I agree, dude. Listen, Rage, early Rage, I mean, I'm 42, so 90s music is what I most enjoy because that was ages 12 to 22. So Killing in the Name of, I still remember, I think I was early college years. I mean, it was uh, that whole album, like you said. I mean, there, there's just... There's a certain power to their music, man. I love it. And I believe they, yeah, they have done some stuff. Public Enemy is my favorite rap group. So when, when they did uh, Prophets of Rage, they did stuff with Rage oh, as yeah. well. I mean, that's it's a hell of a group together. I like it. Well, I hope you have your tickets for the reunion tour next year because I have mine. So that'll be, a, that'll, be a, that'll be bringing it back to the 90s for a little while for sure. I love it. I love it. Hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll be able to go to concerts again. I, hopefully by next summer, knock on wood, we'll all be there. Sounds great. Hey, Adnan, again, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming on and, and doing this for us. Again, stay safe, and hopefully we'll talk again soon down the road. The two Ryans, now my favorite Ryans. I appreciate it, boys. And uh, tag me. I'll tweet it. I'll uh, Instagram it, whatever you need me to do. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, guys. That was great. Good job. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. But, yeah.